0: Stay for five weeks. If you're new this morning, we would love to see you next week and the three weeks after, and then I reckon you'll go nowhere. So come along for five weeks. Um, Look, that dedication was a little bit of us also just getting everyday faith happening back in the church. Do you remember everyday faith? We used to do that before someone coughed and it spread around the world. So we want to get everyday faith going again. So if you have a testimony... Please let us know and we'd love to interview you in the service. If you want to turn your Bibles, Matthew 7, verses 13 to 14. Not a long passage today, but gosh, it's packed with power and truth. In the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, 13 to 14, Jesus says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, And broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Hmm. Amen. Well, we're in the final three weeks of a series on what did Jesus teach, and then we're going to start something new. I think in just exploring the ministry of the Holy Spirit for a while. But the premise of this series, what did Jesus teach, is that if we're to be disciples of Jesus, we actually need to know what he taught. You know, when Jesus said he is the way, the truth, and the life, what what is the way, Uh, what is the truth, what is the life that he is wanting to lead us into? Just before the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew tells us in chapter 4, verse 17, that from that time, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. That's Jesus' message. The Sermon on the Mount is Jesus calling us into the life of the kingdom. Right? This is what it looks like to be a citizen of King Jesus' kingdom. And it's a remarkably different kind of life to the one most commonly lived. Would you agree with that? Like It really is in contrast to the ways of the world. And so Jesus, the preacher of the Sermon on the Mount, is God with us. Establishing this righteous kingdom in the middle of human history. In all of the mess of our lives and the brokenness of humanity. God is doing something about it. He is forming a people who will become a family, who will become citizens and they are going to bring heaven and the life of heaven here on earth. So we come today to Jesus teaching on the narrow and the wide gate, the broad road that leads to destruction and then this narrow path that leads to life. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes Jesus seems really nice. (laughs) And then other times he seems quite demanding. Um, Sometimes it feels like a really inclusive, open invitation. And then other times, what Jesus seems to be offering is this kind of narrower, demanding invitation. And I think we like nice Jesus. Would you agree with that? We like like nice Jesus. You know, the one who teaches about love and giving rest. To the weary and the laden. We like the Jesus, do we not? Who heals the sick. Who who does not condemn the woman caught in adultery. We like the Jesus who goes to the cross dying for us. Raising to life. And breathing peace on his disciples. But We don't find demanding Jesus as easy, do we? Maybe that's the wrong word. Maybe it's the truth telling Jesus. The one who calls the Pharisees a brood of vipers. The one on whom the Sermon on the Mount warns us that those who live lives riddled with lust and anger are in the danger of the fires of hell. What do we do with the Jesus who today says most people are on the broad road that leads to destruction but few are on the narrow path. That leads to life. And I think one of the dangers of being a preacher of the gospel like myself. Is that the message of Jesus is we fall into the old bait and switch. Right? We're so desperate for just anyone to become a Christian. And please, please come come to church. And, and so we preach a gospel which of course is true. Of undeserved forgiveness and mercy and grace. But with no call to repentance. No call to to the transformed life. And the problem is that people can get saved. Into a demand free gospel. That costs so little. That actually the gospel gets robbed of its power. See what if Jesus is saving us as a complete act of mercy. But then he is calling us into a life. That is less travelled. Yes. Yes. One that is full and whole and healed and reconciled. You want it. But it's also costly. It's holy. It's set apart. And it's transformed. Matthew 7.13 Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. When I became a Christian, one of the stories that struck me and resonated most with me was the story of uh, La Miserable. Do you know the, 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 well, it's a book, it's a musical, it's a film, you name it, they've done it. If it's okay, I'd love to just sing you a couple of my favorite <laughs> from the music. <laughs> That would be a terrible idea. Luke, Luke, this week, did get to hear me sing my rendition of Do You Hear The People Sing?
1: <laughs> do, <laughs>
0: do you hear... No, no, we're not going there. Uh, but I do remember in my 20s, reading the abridged book, watching the movie, seeing the musical on the West End. I had so little money when I moved, moved to London that there was these cheap seats. And so I've not actually seen the musical adaptation, I've seen the top of it, from very high up. But it tells the story of the former convict Jean Valjean, who as a recipient of undeserved mercy, goes on to live an exemplary life. And Victor Hugo, the French author, explains the meaning of his work later in the book. He says this, The book, from one end to the other, details a progress from evil to good, from injustice to justice, from falsehood to truth, from night to day, from corruption to life, from hell to heaven, from nothingness to God. At the beginning of the story, Jean Valjean, just released from 19 years of imprisonment for stealing a loaf of bread, is turned away by all these innkeepers in Paris as a former convict. And he ends up bitter and angry, sleeping alone on the streets. And then finally, this kindly bishop gives him shelter. But when night falls, Jean Valjean steals the bishop's silverware. Not long after, he's caught by the police. He's returned to the bishop. And at the word of the bishop, Jean Valjean, as a repeat offender, will now be sent to prison for the rest of his life. What a scene. And then the bishop does something remarkable, something surprising, something that shocks the criminal, Jean Valjean. The bishop pretends that he'd actually given the silverware to Jean Valjean. And then he presses him to take two further candlesticks of silverware. And the police, accepting the bishop's explanation, they leave. And then the bishop tells Jean Valjean that his life has been spared for God. And that he should use the money from the silver candlesticks to make an honest man of himself. And so as the recipient of the scandal of grace, the question becomes, what road will Jean Valjean decide to embark on? With this get out of jail for free car, will he then just resort back to his old evil ways? Or can he see this act of mercy as the changing point of his life? What kind of a human being is he going to be? Now, I won't ruin the story for the three remaining people in the world who don't know this amazing tale. But needless to say, Jean Valjean goes on to live this remarkable transformed life of kindness. He ends up becoming the mayor of a city and in turn transforming the lives of the destitute that he encounters. But I think the reason this story so resonates with me is it goes to the question all of us Christians must ask. Saved by grace, what kind of a life am I now called to live? Saved by grace, what kind of a life am I now called to live? Do I continue on that broad road that leads to destruction? Or will I follow Jesus into the narrow path that leads to life? Before we get to what this narrow path that leads to life is, it's probably just worth giving a two-second theological framework for this. Because what we're talking about are those Christian doctrines of justification and sanctification. It's how we become the children of God, and then how should we live as the children of God? Or how do we get saved, and then how do we become transformed? Justification is the starting point of the Christian faith. It's the entry point into becoming a child of God. Jesus calls it here the narrow gate through which we enter. The gate is Jesus. Ephesians 2 8 For it's by grace that you've been saved through faith. It's not from yourself, it's the gift of God. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. When Jean Valjean was shown mercy by that kindly bishop, it was for him as justified, justified, never stolen the silverware, right? Justified, never done it. And the slate is wiped clean. It is the gift of God through the death of His Son, Jesus, on the cross. When we accept Him as our Lord and Saviour, it is justified, never sinned. Does that make sense? That's the entry point. But then we talk as Christians about sanctification. That is the ongoing transformation we go on to become more Christ-like in our lives as the recipients of grace. That's that narrowing path. That actually leads to life. Ephesians four one, I urge you live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Two Corinthians three eighteen, we are being transformed into His image. So there's this intentionality in Christianity. Once we are saved, we are live a life that is worthy of that calling. It is demanding. We are to become more like Jesus. We are to hunger and thirst for righteousness. We are to have the goal of living very set-apart lives. Good, meaningful lives in service of others. I think the reason it's powerful to know that is it's justification that leads to our sanctification. Right? You can't live the transformed life by just trying harder. The only way to live this transformed life is to be unconditionally loved. And then once we are unconditionally loved, we are compelled and motivated to live a life that's worthy of the Saviour who has called us the children of God. So what does the broad road that leads to destruction look like? And what's the narrow path that leads to life look like? You with me still? Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: I think it's important in thinking through this that we let Scripture interpret Scripture, right? That's a good little... Little lens for us all to learn. If you're trying to understand something, look at the context in which the verses fall. And if there's no obvious context, you know, look for those themes in the rest of the Bible. And in the context of what the narrow path looks like is found in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. You know, that's what we've been suggesting through this series that Jesus is describing what the life of a citizen of the kingdom of heaven looks like. The narrow path is this life that is grabbed by the gospel and then takes discipleship to Jesus and his way seriously. So what's the wide path look like? Well, the Sermon on the Mount, You know, we need to, we need to study it. We need to take personal responsibility for, for knowing Jesus and knowing his warnings of what leads to destruction and, and what leads to life. So, so read the Sermon on the Mount again. Here's a few things I pick up from the message. Broad is the road that leads to destruction from Matthew 5. Well, it would be a life out of sync with the Beatitudes, where Jesus describes who's blessed. So the broad road would not seek to be a peacemaker, it wouldn't be a person who desires to be pure in heart, it wouldn't be someone who looks to be merciful. It's a life that breaks not just the commandments of God that were meant to bring life, but also never deals with the internal heart issues of anger and lust and the desire for revenge. Matthew 6, Jesus talks about hypocrites who give and pray and fast, but they, they do it for show. They don't do it to, to cultivate generosity or, or to get close to God. They do it to be impressive before others. And then Jesus talks about those who love money more than they love God. As a result, living in constant worry rather than seeking his kingdom. Here's a question. How often in your life or the lives around you, have you seen the love of money get in the way of love of God? That's a biggie here, right? Greed. Jesus has more to say about greed than almost anything else. Love of money is a major shipwrecker of lives and marriages and friendships. Matthew 7, Jesus talks about the broad road of judging others constantly and never dealing with the flaw or the plank in your own eye. So broad is this selfish, money-obsessed, internally angry, lustful road that leads to destruction. And Jesus says that's the road that most people find themselves on. So what's the narrow path look like? And I want to point out something so important here. Jesus says it's narrow. Jesus says few find it. But Jesus says that it leads to life. You know, there's two words for life used in the scripture. There's bios and zoe. Bios is our biological life. And we all have bios. We're all ultimately given to decay and corruption. But Jesus introduces this other word for life, which is zoe. And that word for life is is God breathed on and divine and eternal. Remarkable in character. And Jesus is saying that this narrow path doesn't lead to bios. It leads to to zoe. So again, letting the context of Jesus' words breathe meaning into what he is saying here. Let's assume that this narrow path that leads to life is described in the Sermon on the Mount. Would you agree with that? And we need to fall under the conviction that not only are his words true, but they will give you a fuller life. Yeah? Put another way, this is the stuff that's going to save you from shipwrecking your life. So take his words seriously. Seriously. It's a blessed life that hungers and thirsts for righteousness. It's pure in heart. It seeks to be peacemaking. Jesus describes the narrow path as those who live their lives like a light on a hill, who, who act as salt to preserve what is good that is still in this world. He says the narrow path deals with the inner condition of the heart. It excises anger and lust and the desire for revenge, and it replaces it with love and praying for enemies. It's a life marked by generosity and prayer and fasting, but done not for the approval of others, but done to cultivate a relationship with God. It's a life that drops the stones and deals with the plank in your own eye. You get the idea, right? Good. Many years later, after his own conversion, the Apostle Paul was saved by grace, let put it this way, 2 Timothy 1.9, he has saved us and he has called us to a holy life. Isn't that good? There it is again. Justification, sanctification. You've been saved. It's free. It's a gift. It's remarkable. And now he's calling you into a holy life. Let me finish with this thought. The Christian life must be entered into intentionally. Let me say that again. The Christian life must be entered into intentionally. There's actually a scene in Les Mis that I didn't mention. Uh, After the kindly bishop saves him from prison, and before it then flashes forward to this transformed life, Jean Valjean, purely out of habit, after that night of being caught, goes straight out and steals a coin from a 12 year old boy. <laughs> it's not his greatest moment. And he then chases the boy away. But he then quickly repents and he searches the city for the boy to make amends. You see, the broad road is easy. And it's second nature to Jean Valjean. But having entered a new life through the narrow gate because of the bishop's kindness, he then has to be intentional about walking his life out on this narrow path. And I guess that's the question it poses for me. It's the question it poses for you. Having been saved by Jesus, what must we now do to be intentional about the path that we now walk? You know, we're going to be convicted by the Holy Spirit in this. Is that true? I mean, part of the reason you know you're a Christian is when you're sinning, you feel convicted. And then you're going to get empowered by the Holy Spirit to actually live this life. And you're going to get guided by the Holy Spirit into what this life is. But we must choose. What are those choices for you? Small is the gate. Narrow is the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. Amen? Let's stand together. We're going to sing.